This is Box to Box Stoppage Time with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. Recently, we spun off the stoppage time segment from our main podcast because, well, every week we just got to the end of the show and started talking about all sorts of things we hadn't discussed. So our plan, as we've done over the last couple of weeks, is to have our uh, man, uh, our football professor, as I've described him, the erstwhile Englishman. Now he's got his Australian credentials, Derek Dyson, who is going to... uh, Cover the football landscape as as more broadly as we as we like. And uh, over the weeks, uh, Michael will join us from time to time. Uh, he's uh, taken a bench this week because he's busily preparing for the World Cup. But Willem's here to complete the crew, nodding his head there on the video. So, Derek, um, we've got a, 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 an absolute full book. I know you always prepare for first stoppage time these days very, very thoroughly. Um, and our format is to, to work through the game of the week, team of the week, uh, moment of the week and uh, and the hot topic. Uh, so your game of the week, um, there, there's a stack of games to choose from uh, in the international break. Um, I'm interested to know which one you which one you went for. Yeah, like there, were, there were plenty to go for, as you said. And, you know, I'm always trying to weigh it up based on, you know, how exciting was the game? Was there something that significant that happened as a result of the game? Was there controversy in the game? But this time I've I've decided to go for an underdog story. We'll have an underdog story in Australia, uh, as all our listeners uh, will no doubt know. And I was looking at uh, Luxembourg, and they were playing Turkey in uh, their... I think it's the third tier of the four in the Nations League and you wouldn't wouldn't be expected to get a result in Turkey, never mind at home against Turkey. And they managed to get a three-all draw there. So it was a highly entertaining game. There were uh, goals all over the place. Luxembourg actually took the lead three times, uh, only to have be pegged back by the home side, Turkey, on each occasion. And uh, the last one went in kind of heartbreakingly for uh, for Luxembourg in the 87th minute, but you know, a lot of uh, big props should go to the goalkeeper, uh, Anthony Maurice. He was very busy on the night, but um, genuinely pulled off some world-class saves. He does play for uh, a pretty decent Belgian club, Union SG, who we saw in some of the uh, uh, qualifying uh, qualifying rounds for, for the European football this year. So, He's a, uh, a man in form for sure and uh, just wanted to point out that Luxembourg have got a population of 600,000. That's that's just about more than Newcastle and Canberra, but it just gives you an example of how big they are. Turkey, just the 84 million in their population. So this result for uh, Le Lion Rouge or the Rotten Leuven uh, or the Red Lions uh, was a very credible three-all draw and they actually followed this up with a 1-0 win against Lithuania and they're now second in their C grade group so they were promoted uh, they managed to get into the C grade and now they've finished second which is uh, really credible so well done Luxembourg. I see your team of the week and uh, you know I'm Hesitate to accuse you of bias, but it's pretty hard not to. No, I think there's quite a lot of bias in this. Um, I think we mentioned it in the main show, but team of the week for me has got to be the Arsenal ladies who uh, managed to beat the old enemy Tottenham a four nil in front of a record crowd at Emirates Stadium. You know how great was that to see that stadium looking pretty full, two thirds full, uh, great atmosphere in the game. 
uh, all the goals um, celebrated to a lot of noise and you could hear that the noise was slightly different to a, a men's game in terms of the tone of the celebration and I think that's a good thing you could tell that there were young people in the ground you could tell there were more women in the ground so I feel like um, that that's a great representation of the game a brilliant goal by England star Beth Mead set Arsenal on the way and a double from my favourite player Vivian Miedemar she is still a superstar and I think Arsenal are very very lucky to have her and with this Arsenal also took a record off Tottenham with that uh, that attendance as well Tottenham were the record holders for the reverse fixture in 2019 but Arsenal managed to pack in the 47,367 which I think is probably more than some of the um the dead rubber European games I used to go to before I moved to Australia. And it also means Arsenal, uh, 10 successive victories in WS- WSL. So yeah, team of the week for me. Okay. So my team of the week, funnily enough, if anyone was listening to the, the main show box to box earlier in the week, would probably say, well, how can you nominate the Socceroos um, when you were underwhelmed by their performance against New Zealand? But to be fair on reflection, uh, they, uh, they had a an opponent who we all know anyone who watches uh, sport in this part of the world how difficult that they are at the best of times. Their their A League uh, club, the uh, the Wellington Phoenix, have been very competitive in recent times, and we know uh, that you know. But for one goal against Costa Rica, they could have been um, in the World Cup uh, New Zealand. So fair's fair to them. And one of the highlights of uh, of the, uh, the the two matches was Jason Cummings scoring on debut, and uh, I did see uh, a, an article in the BBC that um, it, 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 they didn't uh, acknowledge the, the result of the first game. But when Jason Cummings, the 27-year-old Edinburgh-born uh, player who's been, uh, uh, I think, famous uh, as a bit of a um, I don't know, party animal uh, over the course of his career, Derek, um, has sort of come to Australia and, and reinvented himself. Where's the legend now between Australia and Scotland, Rob? Do you know the few players have been exchanged on each side? So I, I don't know where we're at. You know, Lyndon Dykes obviously is still still in there on the, on the Scottish side who's who's winning this at the moment oh I think we'd have to be absolutely um, flogging them I mean when you look at Harry Sutar when he comes back as well Martin Ball as you mentioned so no I think Australia would have to be comfortably uh, winning this and particularly given that some of those very Scotsmen uh, have helped us uh, qualify for the World Cup and considering that we've got our uh, Australian manager winning their leagues Derek and taking them into Europe so I think we've definitely got the uh, got the better off of four now uh, my team of the week as discussed on the main show as well would have to be Brazil 3-0 over Ghana uh, tuning up very nicely ahead of the World Cup. Tite is, of course, their coach. He's going to be the first uh, Brazilian manager, would you believe, to take them to consecutive tournaments since Tele Santana in 82 uh, and 86. So Brazil, the team of the week for me, alongside with probably uh, Argentina. Very keen to see a South American side win the World Cup for the first time in my lifetime if it's not going to be the Dutch. Okay. And now the moment of the week, Derek, uh, are you going to do this every week? and just sort of Because uh, you do have a tendency, uh, regardless, I think a couple of weeks ago we were talking about women's football and, uh, and you managed to wheel in an Arsenal analogy, but um, your moment of the week is, uh, even though he no longer plays for the Gunners, um, he uh, he gets a mention. Quite right. Well, he doesn't play for us anymore. He plays for Chelsea, Rob. So uh, mm-hmm. clearly, uh, clearly not as biased as I sound. But uh, look, uh, this this player, if the uh, listeners haven't already guessed, we, we've spoken about him quite a lot on the show over the years. He's a recurring figure, uh, and that is Olivia Giroud. Uh, myself and Edge have a bit of a love affair with this player, and at the tender age of thirty five. Uh, Giroud is now the oldest scoring uh, player in French French football history, uh, and that was that's helped 
France beat that dreaded relegation in the uh, in the Nations League. Um, you know, he set up Mbappe for a goal as well, another one of our favourite favourite players. So he's older uh, than Roger March, who had the last record from way back in 1959. And probably more significantly, Giroud is now only uh, two behind another Arsenal uh, legend, uh, Thierry Henry, on 51 goals. So you'd probably you'd probably back. Uh, Willem, would you back Giroud now with, you know, a little bit more of his career to eke out at 35? Can he get the three goals he needs to overtake Thierry Henry and do that job? Yeah, I think he'll get it. I think he'll get it absolutely. And that's no reflection on whether he's a better player or not than Henry. It's just the way these things play out. And you'd be better to speak on that than me, Derek. But uh, it's only going to be a record it'll have for maybe five or six years because Kylian Mbappe uh, is rising quickly with 27 goals from his his 57 appearances. When Giroud was at Arsenal, Derek, as a 26, 27, 28-year-old, did you ever think that at 35 he'd be a World Cup winner continuing to play for France uh, and above names? I mean, you look down the list, uh, Griezmann's below him, Platini, Benzema, Zizou, uh, Yuri Zhirkov, uh, Sylvian Wiltord. Uh, he is, rightly or wrongly, and for quite a maligned player over the journey at times as well, up there in the pantheon of, of legends of the game. Yeah, I think maligned is the right word. And I, yeah, I watched Olivier Giroud probably in the... The last, sort of the, the last dying embers of my Arsenal watching um, career, I suppose, in the UK. Uh, and he was criticised for not being a player to match Arsenal's ambition at the time. You mentioned some of the other players, uh, you know, Henri, Wiltord, Perez, uh, the other French players that have, have graced Arsenal. And he just didn't seem quite up to calibre. He seemed like, uh, you know, he'd been plucked out of kind of obscurity in French football, not particularly mobile, um, and, and maybe didn't deliver the goal ratio that we were looking for at the time. But in terms of his all-round link play, you know, a great feat for a big man, wonder the left foot, scored one of the most iconic Premier League goals, that scorpion kick uh, that was a few years ago now, but still uh, has kids trying to emulate that in the park. And it doesn't surprise me in the sense of his game was never really built on speed, so he isn't losing anything and he's still able to link up play nicely and I think he's going to be really important for France uh, all the all of the uh, accolades will go to Mbappe and some of the more celebrated players but I think the likes of Mbappe would love to play up front with this guy because he can produce the knockdowns the flicks and uh, pick the pass or just you know bully defenders and create the space so Yes, there is a love in for uh, Olivier Giroud. It's, I, this is not the last time I'll mention him on this podcast, but that's because I feel like he's, he has been much overlooked and maligned, and I think his record speaks for itself. My uh, moment of the week uh, is, again, another domestic one. And, uh, and Willem, you were only just a little fellow when this happened, and, and I know uh, um, I nominated the Socceroos as the team of the week, but I'm going to go green and gold again and uh, reflect on the great Hussidink who uh, was named the, the coach of the Australian team of the century and stood on the sideline with uh, Graham Arnold at Suncorp Stadium last Thursday night. And it brought, brought back so many memories of uh, of just what he did um, to, to uh, drag Australia to uh, to Germany back in 2006 uh, uh, through his, his own energy and force of will and, and that golden generation he melded together. Uh, you know, there were some moments which, uh, which were not... Uh, um, uh, 
his finest hour, I think, uh, when Zelko Kalitz played against Croatia in that uh, that uh, World Cup match, um, that that might be a moment that Alphus would regret. Uh, there is though a great story, and uh, Andrew Webster is one of my favourite journalists in this country. Normally a rugby league uh, journalist, but um, he's dropped a, an article in the last forty eight hours on the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age, and he uh, he asked uh, uh, of in an interview last week to to confirm a story that Graham Arnold had talked to him about over the years, and and that was. So when Australia um, were the Football Federation of Australia, then now known as Football Australia, were not planning to uh, stump up for a charter flight from Montevideo to Sydney after the first leg. And and Hus has said to Arnie, um, isn't uh, the national uh, uh, sponsor, the sponsor of the national side, Qantas, aren't they an airline company? And, and Arnie goes, yes, boss, uh, but no charter flight. And Hus says to Arnie, uh, well, tell him to call me tomorrow at five o'clock. You be in the office because I'm resigning. You watch. And the story goes on from here. I'll let uh, Andrew Webster pick it up if you you can find the article. Uh, obviously, Hus threatens to resign and uh, and John O'Neill, uh, national teams, who was the then CEO, the national teams boss, John and the media manager, Stuart Orge, nearly had a heart attack. And guess what? Australia had a charter flight back from Montevideo and we got to the World Cup. So, Hus, um, you uh, are my selection for the moment of the week with uh, with your uh, uh, presence on the sideline at uh, at the Suncorp Stadium match. Can you follow that up, Will? Yeah, so your moment, beautifully told, Rob, goes back to the history and the, uh, yeah, the, the history of the, the Socceroos. My moment of the week is about the future. It was four touches from Garang Qual down the right flank uh, against New Zealand off the bench. Uh, we've seen it before with him a couple of times for the Mariners against Barcelona, if you don't mind, for the A-League All-Stars. Um, and it's a... Uh, it's a great story. It's a developing story. They're a, a fantastic uh, young Australian family. Uh, John Grimore, the player agent, from what I've heard, took the punt. No clubs would take the punt on Alukwal, the oldest brother. So he paid uh, to, to take him from Shepparton. He got a patrol at the Mariners. I think he paid the expenses for a month or so for him to, to get his foot in the door and get that first contract. Uh, there's Garang. There's another brother. I think Didi's the youngest. And there's Teng as well. So there's four of them that could make the grade. Uh, this is the, the modern face of Australia. It's the modern face of the Socceroos. Uh, all eyes now, though, on this impending deal to Newcastle mm-hmm. uh, and another interesting yarn this week from Vince Rigari who spoke to mm-hmm. Daniel Arzani who found mm-hmm. himself in this position four years ago and Arzani uh, had some words of caution uh, not so much about making the move because for any youngster to take that move I mean he's only just 18 to go over and sign a, a multi-year deal with a, a Premier League or a top European club uh, is where you want to be but from there it's the loan moves out and Arzani's mm-hmm. I mean the, the grab the headline was they don't particularly care uh so yeah we, we've been here before with bolters um we seem to always have a bolter and they haven't always worked out nikita Rukovitsa went to the world cup in 2010 uh 2014 was really full of bolters and just threw it all together pretty last minute uh but i think everyone who was who saw daniel arzani play in russia four years ago has been disappointed with how it's played out for him um so yeah lots of excitement around garan qual what a moment it was uh as he as he yeah raced down the right and put the ball in for riley mcgree led to the penalty led to the second goal uh yeah so so very interesting uh i don't think he makes the world cup squad i'm surprised that he's in ahead of his brother who's a little bit more mature and has spent more time in and around the uh, the junior uh setups uh, the under 20s uh but overall a uh, big net positive for australian football 
Yeah, no, well told too, Willem. That was um, that was fantastic to see that. And buried in the detail of that Vince um, Regari article, and and I think um, Daniel Arzani comes out um, very well from from this article as he rebuilds his career. Is that uh, he's on standby for the Socceroos, um, and uh, he's expecting to be part of the broader squad that Graham Arnold uh, uh, submits to FIFA before the uh, twenty six man selection. And uh, and Daniel is quoted. Um, I haven't spoken to him, but I know that he's had a chat with the gaffer, and in that case. He his gaffer is MacArthur coach Dwight York, who has said, if I can prove enough until the time that he picks the squad, then I think I'll be in. I can only do what's in my control. And I do remember very clearly that Daniel Arzani had a wonderful com- combination with Jackson Irvine at that World Cup as well. So if we can somehow find uh, the best out of Daniel Arzani, who at his peak was a, uh, was a wonderful player to watch and uh, incredibly skillful, then uh, uh, that'd, be, that'd be good for Australian football. Um, now there was an article, uh, Derek, that we we all picked up on this uh, this past week, which uh, uh, dropped one day, and then there was a contradictory article the next. Uh, it's it's just a little bizarre the way that it's playing out, it, and and it reflects in some ways, um, uh, not identically, but to the Australian um, uh, Matilda's um, story that played out uh, when Alan Stajic was sacked. Um, this is Spanish women going on strike and and allegedly calling for the manager to be sacked, but then um, sort of backflipping on it the next day. I mean, how, how did you interpret all of, of this, the the news around that story? Yeah, this is my hot topic of the week. And yes, shades of Stajic, as you said, because uh, 15 players in the Spain team, and we saw them recently playing England in that quarterfinal uh, of the Euros when England squeaked through and Spain were seen as one of the, the, the prospects for the tournament and gave England a real, a real fright there. But their manager, George Vilda, uh, who's been there since 2015 and has a contract until 2024, is under, I suppose, all sorts of pressure now because 15 of the women, and they're all prominent players, have, have all uh, work, uh, walked out because essentially the players have, uh, are trying to put pressure on uh, for the coaches' position. Um, they, they're all written the same way, these, these emails that these 15 players sent in. And uh, so it was obvious that it was a coordinated um, action. And the Spanish FA have, have responded very badly to it, as you can imagine. They're, they're right uh, behind their manager. And as you, and as you said, the, the, player, the, the players have sort of backflipped a bit, saying that they don't necessarily want the removal of the manager but uh, they're, they're looking for a dialogue they're they're looking for change but 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 clearly like you know it's a mutinous atmosphere and clearly all the fingers seem to be pointed at the manager um the, the certain manager of players that think that he's a controlling influence too controlling a lot of them see him as incapable uh they think that he is symbolic of a wider problem in spanish football that women's football isn't taken seriously. I don't think there's any doubt. If you look at England, for example, of where where women's football now is, is placed in terms of its prior, priority. And Spain, of course, home to one of the the most fantastic women's teams, Barcelona. So they've got they've got the teams, they've got the players, but there is a thought that by giving them a so called substandard coach, uh, you know, unlike England who went out and got the champion coach from Holland into to drive their Euro 2024 uh, glory. Um, 
that 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 somehow that they're not getting the best of of, of what they should get at that uh, national level. Um, you know that they want to have a constructive and honest conversation about how they can enhance the performance in the group. And I suppose that the wider points here are really, you know, have Spain really fallen that far? And is the situation as bad as they as they make out? As we said, they weren't too far away from beating England and, and potentially being the favourites for that that recent Euros tournament. And then also, what kind of precedent does it set? within the structure of the game. There's just one thing that's sacrosanct in any level of football is that, you know, you respect whoever the manager is until the manager's not the manager anymore. And uh, this seems to be a coup d'etat, Rob. Yeah, it does. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of uh, uh, stories around this. But uh, uh, one of the, the articles um, that I found on The Guardian, um, uh, there's, a, there's a, a bunch of incendiary quotes but uh, one of them for some Spain players joining the national team has become something to endure not endure enjoy a one source close to them talks of anxiety players in tears of an atmosphere that is unsustainable there is little communication with Vilda who is the coach and sporting director in one and who they see as overbearing the environment has become tense unpleasant well an important little bit of subtext I guess to add as well is that Vilda's been in charge since 2015 uh, and his predecessor Ignacio Carreta got the Tijuana due to a similar player-driven uprising. So maybe they feel like they're not going to bow down to history repeating itself and they're not going to let the players sort of have their way uh, a second time. But no, it seems pretty unsavoury and unfortunate. Um, It's always hard in sport to sort of look back in in hindsight. But I mean, maybe if they do have a different result against England uh, at the Euros and go all the way, maybe it's not as pleasant but harmonious because it has had the success so plenty to play out yeah true well i guess that that is the contrast with australia and and the most recent women's world cup where uh, uh the stagic story would have played out um uh very differently had dante milicic managed to to get um at least deep into that tournament and and get some kind of a result but um but that didn't happen and um and uh, we see the the fall of that fall out of that continue because um, the Australian uh, uh, women's side has uh, has not been the same since um, and Tony Gustafsson as we've uh, documented many times on this show is struggling to uh, to get a tune out of the squad so uh, when these sorts of things happen um, and, and we're not saying that the, the, the Australian um, women's team uh, and the, the Spanish women were identical in, in terms of the, the, the causes and effects of, uh, of the Australian situation but but uh, I guess the, the, the broader context of this point is that when disruption occurs at this level and players uh, rise up against the manager, um, there, um, there has to be um, some, some very clear and decisive decision-making. Uh, um, and, and, um, and regardless of whether there is or not, um, they need to get results because if they don't, it just goes from bad to worse, Derek. Yeah, absolutely. I was just considering whether you know, who are the other teams out there that could be mutinous? Maybe it's England. We didn't, haven't really mentioned them in this podcast, partly because we, we spoke about it at such length with uh, Henry in, in the uh, one released earlier in the week. Uh, but I don't know if there's a, a player action required, required there because that, that, that's not, not a good state. But, um, mm. yeah, look, we'll watch this story with interest. Uh, I think it kind of flies in the faith, face of the norms of the game. And while the, mm. the women's game is... Uh, transforming the overall game in so many fantastic ways. And women have taken a stand on a bunch of different subjects, whether it be uh, Rapinoe or somebody somebody else in the way that they've done that. This is obviously uh, another side of it that we're looking at and we'll see if, it's, uh, see if it uh, leaches into, into other aspects of the game too. 
Yeah, watch this space. All right, boys. Well, why don't we wrap it up there for uh, another week? Stoppage time. Derek, thank you for uh, uh, putting this all together as you do each week, mate. Yeah, always good to do international football, even though I'd spend quite a lot of it talking about Arsenal gents. But uh, I think we're back to uh, back to normal stuff this week with the uh, domestic game. You're allowed to, mate. Well, well done. Thank you, guys. It's going to be an interesting return to the Premier League when you consider some sides haven't played in nearly a month. How bizarre at the outset of the season would that have been to say, considering how condensed the fixture was going to be? And there's teams that have been cooling their heels for goodness knows how long. Yeah, obviously because of the passing of Her Majesty and uh, and games paused uh, and the international break because of that. All right, boys, next week, um, please subscribe to Box to Box, Box to Box Stoppage Time, Box to Box Offside, wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us at box to box nts and follow us on Twitter. And make sure you like us on Facebook. And please join us next week.